Book One, Chapter Three of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nikki Sullivan. Cecilia Memoirs of an Heiress by Fanny Burney. Book One, Chapter Three. As soon as they lost sight of the house, Cecilia expressed her surprise at the behavior of the old gentleman who sat in the corner, whose general silence, seclusion from the company, and absence of mind had strongly excited her curiosity. Mr. Harrow could give her very little satisfaction. He told her that he had twice or thrice met him in public places, where everybody remarked the singularity of his manners and appearance. But he had never discoursed with any one to whom he seemed known, and that he was much surprised as herself in seeing so strange a character at the house of Mr. Monckton. The conversation then turned upon the family they had just quitted, and Cecilia warmly declared the good opinion she had of Mr. Monckton, the obligations she owed to him for his interest which, from her childhood, he had always taken in her affairs. And her hopes of reaping much instruction from the friendship of a man who had so extensive a knowledge of the world. Mr. Harrel professed himself well satisfied that she should have such a counsellor, for though but little acquainted with him, he knew he was a man of fortune and fashion, and well esteemed in the world. They mutually compassionated his unhappy situation in domestic life, and Cecilia innocently expressed her concern at the dislike Lady Margaret seemed to have taken of her, a dislike which Mr. Harrel, naturally enough, imputed to her youth and beauty, yet without suspecting any cause more cogent than a general jealousy of attractions, of which she herself had so long outlived the possession. As their journey drew near its conclusion, all uneasy and disagreeable sensations which in the bosom of Cecilia had accompanied its commencement, gave way to the expectation of quick approaching happiness in again meeting her favorite young friend. Mrs. Harrell had in childhood been her playmate, and in her youth her schoolfellow. A similarity of disposition with respect to sweetness and temper had early rendered them dear to each other, though the resemblance extended no farther. Mrs. Harrell having no pretensions to the wit or understanding of her friend, but she was amiable and obliging, and therefore sufficiently deserving affection, though neither blazing with attractions which laid claim to admiration, nor endowed with those superior qualities which mingle respect in the love they inspire. From the time of her marriage, which was near three years, she had entirely quitted Suffolk, and had had no intercourse with Cecilia but by letter. She was now just returned from Violet Bank, the name given by Mr. Harrell to a villa about twelve miles from London, where, with a large party of company, she had spent the Christmas holidays. Their meeting was tender and affectionate. The sensibility of Celia's heart flowed from her eyes, and the gladness of Mrs. Harrell's dimpled her cheeks. As soon as their mutual salutations, expressions of kindness, and general inquiries had been made, Mrs. Harrell begged to lead her to the drawing-room, where, she added, you will see some of my friends, who are impatient to be presented to you. I could have wished, said Cecilia, after so long an absence, to have passed the first evening alone with you. 
"'They are all people who particularly desire to see you,' she answered. "'And I had them by way of entertaining you, "'as I was afraid you would be out of spirits after leaving Bury. "'Finding the kindness of her intentions, "'forbore any further expostulation, "'and quietly followed her to the drawing-room. "'But as the door was open, "'she was struck with amazement upon finding that the apartment, "'which was spacious, lighted with brilliancy, "'and decorated with magnificence, "'was more than half filled with company,' every one of which was dressed with gaiety and profusion. Cecilia, who from the word friends expected to see a small and private party, selected for the purposes of social converse, started involuntarily at the sight before her, and had hardly courage to proceed. Mrs. Harrell, however, took her hand and introduced her to the whole company, who were all severally named to her, a ceremonial which though not merely agreeable but even necessary to those who live in the gay world in order to obviate distressing mistakes or unfortunate implications in discourse would by celia have been willingly dispensed with since to her their names were as new as their persons and since knowing nothing of their histories parties or connections she could to nothing allude it therefore served to heighten her color and increase her embarrassment. A native dignity of mind, however, which had early taught her to distinguish modesty from bashfulness, enabled her in a short time to conquer her surprise and recover her composure. She entreated Mrs. Harrell to apologize for her appearance, and being seated between two young ladies, endeavored to seem reconciled to it herself. Nor was this very difficult— for while her dress, which she had not changed since her journey, joined to the novelty of her face, attracted general observation, the report of her fortune, which had preceded her entrance, secured to her general respect. She soon found, too, that her company was not necessarily formidable, because full-dressed, that familiarity could be united with magnificence, and that, though to her— Every one seemed attired to walk in a procession, or to grace a drawing-room. No formality was assumed, and no solemnity was affected. Every one was without restraint, even rank obtained but little distinction. Ease was the general plan, and entertainment the general pursuit. Cecilia, though new to London, which city the ill-health of her uncle had hitherto prevented her seeing, was yet no stranger to company. She had passed her time in retirement, but not in obscurity. Since for some years past she had presided at the table of the dean, who was visited by the first people of the country in which he lived, and notwithstanding his parties, which were frequent though small and elegant, though private, had not prepared her for the splendor or the diversity of a London assembly, they yet, by initiating her in the practical rules of good breeding, had taught her to subdue the timid fears of total inexperience, and to repress the bashful feelings of shamefaced awkwardness, fears and feelings which rather call for compassion than admiration, and which, except in extreme youth, serve to degrade the modesty they indicate. She regarded, therefore, the two young ladies between whom she was seated, rather with the wish of addressing than a shyness of being attacked by them. But the elder, Miss Laroles was earnestly engaged in discourse with a gentleman, and the younger, Miss Leeson, 
totally discouraged her by the invariable silence and gravity with which from time to time she met her eyes. Uninterrupted, therefore, except by occasional speeches from Mr. or Mrs. Harrell, she spent the first part of the evening merely in surveying the company. Nor was the company dilatory in returning her notice, since from time to time since her entrance in the room she had been the object of general regard. The ladies took an exact inventory of her dress, and internally settled how differently they would have been attired if blessed with equal affluence. The men disputed among themselves whether or not she was painted, and one of them offering boldly that she was rouged well, and debate ensued, which ended in a bet, and the decision was mutually agreed to depend upon the color of her cheeks by the beginning of April, when, if unfaded by bad hours and continual dissipation, they wore the same bright bloom which they were now glowing. Her champion acknowledged that his wager would be lost." In about a half an hour the gentleman with whom Miss Laroles had been talking left the room, and then that young lady, turning suddenly to a Cecilia, exclaimed, "'How odd Mr. Meadows is! Did you know that he says he shan't be well enough to go to Lady Nyland's assembly? How ridiculous! As if that could hurt him!' Cecilia, surprised at an attack so little ceremonious, lent her civil but silent attention. "'You shall be there, shan't you?' she added. "'No, ma'am. I have not the honour of being at all known to her ladyship.' "'Oh, there's nothing in that,' returned she. "'For Mrs. Harrow can acquaint her you and here, and then, you know, she'll send you a ticket, and then you can go.' "'A ticket?' repeated Cecilia. "'Does Lady Nyland only admit her company with tickets?' "'Oh, Lord!' cried Miss Laroles, laughing immoderately. "'Don't you know what I mean?' Why, a ticket is only a visiting card with a name upon it. But we all call them tickets now. Cecilia thanked her for the information, and then Miss Laroles inquired how many miles she had travelled since morning. Seventy-three, answered Cecilia, which I hope will plead my apology for being so little dressed. Oh, you're vastly well, returned the other, and for my part I never think about dress, but only conceive what happened to me last year. Do you know I came to town the 20th of March? Was not that horrid provoking? Perhaps so, said Cecilia, but I am sure I cannot tell why. Not tell why, repeated Miss Laroles. Why, don't you know that it was the very night of the grand private masquerade of Lord Darren's? I would not have missed it for the whole universe. I never travelled in such an agony in my life. We did not get to town till monstrous late, and then, do you know, I had neither a ticket nor a habit. Only conceive what distress. Well, I sent to every creature I knew for a, for a ticket, but they all said that there were none to be had. So I was just like a mad creature. But about ten or eleven o'clock a young lady of my particular acquaintance, by the greatest good luck in the world, happened to be taken suddenly ill, so she sent me her ticket. Was that not delightful?' "'For her, extremely,' said Cecilia, laughing. "'Well,' she continued, "'then I was almost out of my wits with joy, "'and I went about and got one of the sweetest dresses you ever saw. "'If you call upon me some morning, I'll show it to you.' "'Cecilia, not prepared for an invitation so abrupt, "'bowed without speaking, and Miss Laroles, "'too happy in talking herself to be offended at the silence of another, "'continued her narration.' 
Well, but now comes the vilest part of the business. Do you know, when everything else was ready, I could not get my hairdresser. I sent all over the town. He was nowhere to be found. I thought I should have died with vexation. I assure you, I cried so, that if I had not gone in a mask, I should have been ashamed to be seen. And so, after all this monstrous fatigue, I was forced to have my hair dressed by my own maid, quite in a common way. Was not it cruelly mortifying? Why, yes, answered Cecilia. I should think it was almost sufficient to make you regret the illness of the young lady who sent you her ticket. They were now interrupted by Mrs. Harrell, who advanced to them, followed by a man of serious aspect and modest demeanor, and said, I am happy to see you both so well engaged, but my brother has been reproaching me with presenting everybody to Miss Beverley but himself. I cannot hope, said Mr. Arnott, that I have any place in the recollection of Miss Beverley, but long as I have been absent from Suffolk, and unfortunate as I was in not seeing her during my last visit there, I am yet sure, even at this distance of time, grown informed as she is, I should instantly have known her. Amazing! cried an elderly gentleman, in a tone of irony, who was standing near them, for the face is a very common one. I remember well, said Cecilia, that when you left Suffolk, I thought I had lost my best friend. Is that possible? cried Mr. Arnott with a look of so much delight. Yes, indeed, and not without reason, for in all disputes you were my advocate, in all plays my companion, in all difficulties my assailant. Madam, cried the same gentleman, if you liked him because he was your advocate, companion, and assailant, pray like me too, for I am ready to become all three at once. You are very good, said Cecilia, laughing but at present I find no want of any defender. That's a pity, he returned, for Mr. Arnott seems to me very willing to act the same parts all over again with you. But for that purpose he must return to the days of his childhood. Ah, would to heaven it were possible, cried Mr. Arnott, for they were the happiest of my life. After such a confession, said his companion, surely you will let him attempt to renew them. "'Tis but taking a walk backwards, and though it is very early in life for Mr. Anat to sigh for that retrograde motion, which, in the regular course of things, we shall all in our turns desire, yet, with such a motive as recovering Miss Beverley for a playfellow, who can wonder that he anticipates in youth the hopeless wishes of age? Here Miss Laroles, who was one of that numerous tribe of young ladies to whom all conversation is irksome when they are not themselves engaged, quitted her place, of which Mr. Gosport, Celia's new acquaintance, immediately took possession. "'Is it utterly impossible,' continued this gentleman, "'that I should assist in procuring Mr. Arnott such a renovation? Is there no subaltern part I can perform to facilitate the project?' for I will either hide or seek with anybody in the parish, and for a queue in the corner there is none more celebrated. I have no doubt, sir, answered Celia, of your accomplishments, and I should not be a little entertained with the surprise of the company if you could persuade yourself to display them. And what, cried he, could the company do half so well as to arise also and join the sport? It would but interrupt some tale of scandal or some description of a toupee. 
active wit, however despicable when compared with intellectual, is yet surely better than the insufficient click-clack of modish conversation, casting his eyes towards Miss Laroles, or even the pensive dullness of affected silence, changing their directions towards Miss Leeson. Cecilia, though surprised at an attack upon the society her friend had selected, by one who was admitted to make a part of it, felt its justice too strongly to be offended at its severity. "'I have often wished,' he continued, "'that when large parties are collected, as here, without any possible reason why they should not as well be separated, something could be proposed in which each person might innocently take a share.' for surely, after the first half-hour, they can find little new to observe in the dress of their neighbours or to display in their own, and with whatever seeming gaiety they may contrive to fill up the middle and the end of the evening, by wire-drawing the comments afforded by the beginning, they are yet so miserably fatigued that if they have not four or five places to run to every night, they suffer nearly as much from weariness of their friends in company as they would do from weariness of themselves in solitude. Here, by the general breaking up of the party, the conversation was interrupted, and Mr. Gosport was obliged to make his exit, not much to the regret of Celia, who was impatient to be alone with Mrs. Harrel. The rest of the evening, therefore, was spent much more to her satisfaction. It was devoted to friendship, to mutual inquiries, to congratulations, and endearing recollections. And though it was late when she retired, she retired with reluctance. End of chapter 3 Recording by Nikki Sullivan, Chicago